Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, February 1st, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Biden announces an end to the U.S. COVID emergency in May. The U.K. falls in the global corruption rankings. Biden says the U.S. won't provide F-16 fighters to Ukraine. The IMF lifts its global growth forecasts. Representative George Santos steps down from his House committee's assignments. France is criticized over its Olympic security plan. Trump sues journalist Bob Woodward over audio recordings. School closures are reported to have cost children one-third of a year's learning. Canada's British Columbia experiments with decriminalizing hard drugs. And rhino poaching surges by 93% in Namibia. Biden plans to end COVID emergency in May. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Al Jazeera, Fox News, CNN, New York Post, and Time. U.S. President Biden on Monday announced to Congress that his administration will end the national and public COVID health emergencies on May 11th, as most of the world has moved to or towards normalcy almost three years after the pandemic was declared. Biden's announcement comes amidst resolutions put forward by House Republicans to bring the emergencies to an immediate end and launch investigations into the federal government's response to the virus. In contrast, the Office of Management and Budget has said an abrupt end would cause wide-ranging chaos within the health care system. As of right now, the COVID national emergency is set to expire March 1st, while the public health emergency will expire on April 11th. But once Biden extends them, they will both end on May 11th. Many of the individual benefits created by the emergencies will also expire on May 11th, with Medicare beneficiaries having to pay out of pocket for at-home testing and all treatment, though vaccines will continue to be covered at no cost. The Biden administration also said the end of the public health emergency will result in the cessation of Title 42 the Trump-era immigration policy that allows law enforcement to send migrants back across the border. In recent months, case counts have trended lower after a slight rise over the winter holidays and are significantly below levels seen over the last two winters. However, the number of COVID tests being taken and reported to public health officials has also decreased significantly. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts, and our narrative spins begin with the Democratic narrative from the New York Times. Though it was not always clear what the right answer was at the time, the U.S. has managed to persevere through the pandemic, and the decision to officially end these emergencies will soon become necessary. COVID has not disappeared by any means, which is why Biden is giving healthcare facilities months to prepare. And we counter that with the Republican narrative coming from Daily Wire. Though it is much appreciated that the government will finally declare the pandemic over, this move should have been made far earlier as opposed to waiting another third of a year. The Biden administration is still unable to get a clear message out about COVID, having previously said it's over before backtracking. Biden's move to end Title 42 will likely exacerbate the southern border crisis even more. The administration's COVID policies have been dysfunctional and harmful. Do you still wear masks, Scott? Uh, Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. It depends. My my whole family's been sick lately, so kind of independent. I'm kind of taking advantage of the fact that you're allowed to wear kind of 
socially wear masks still to keep that under wraps, but I'm kind of whatever. How about you? Uh, I'm the same. I think yeah. the, my mask wearing went away months ago. Yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. I think everyone's over it. You know, and I I've, so I've mentioned this before, but I'm concerned. What if something else happens that requires us to either mask up or quarantine or something? No one's going to do it. I know. I know. It's it's going to be it's going to be really crazy. There's a burnout it, it, factor for sure. Yep. The UK falls in global corruption rankings. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Conversation, Guardian, Daily Mail, The National, and Bloomberg. Following a year of high-profile corruption scandals, the UK has dropped from 11th place to 18th, with a score of 73 out of 100 on Transparency's International 180 Country Corruption Perceptions Index, or CPI, which uses measures from the Economist's Intelligence Unit World Economic Forum, and World Justice Project. The report, which notes the UK as experiencing the sharpest decline among all G7 countries, came two days after Prime Minister Rishi Sunak fired Conservative Party Chair Nadhim Zahawi over his tax affairs. The UK has also recently dealt with public spending scandals, particularly regarding the Department of Health's mishandling of £14.9 billion, that's $17.3 billion, in COVID-era equipment, with Baroness Michelle Moan currently under criminal investigation into a fraudulent COVID supplies company. Early in the pandemic, it was also revealed that donors to the Tory party, who then became party treasurer, were also subsequently given spots in the House of Lords. In 2021, Richard Sharp, who was appointed chairman of the BBC, was also investigated for helping arrange for then-Prime Minister Boris Johnson to obtain a loan of up to £800,000, that's $984,000. Despite its lowered ranking, Transparency International said the appointment last month of a new ethics advisor and new transparency rules for ministers were steps in the right direction, though it added that more had to be done. Sunak's struggle to clean up corruption comes as only eight countries on the list improved their standing, including Ireland, South Korea, Armenia, and Angola. Thank you, Scott, for the facts. This story has generated two different spins. Narrative A is the first one coming from Byline Times. London's leaders should be ashamed. The Corruption Perceptions Index is the ultimate global poll showing political and business experts' views on how transparent and frugal government leaders are. The UK's carelessness regarding taxpayer money and pay-to-play politics is clear for all the world to see. And Narrative B comes from Morningstar Online. What this report shows is that every nation, Western, Democratic, Eastern, and authoritarian, is corrupt. With only eight countries actually improving their scores, the world is becoming more dangerous for people all across the globe, with no signs of reversing. The UK's decline is symbolic of worldwide corruption. I'd like to point out that 73 is still passing. <laughs> So, oh, you're such an optimist. The war in Ukraine continues, and we look at day 342 as Biden says the U.S. won't provide F-16 fighters to Ukraine. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Wiltshire Times, Daily Mail, Radio Free Europe, Pravda, and Ukraine Forum. U.S. President Biden has, for the time being, ruled out providing Ukraine with F-16 fighter jets. 
Asked by reporters at the White House on Monday if the U.S. would provide the aircraft, Biden said no. This comes as Ukraine's defense minister Oleksiy Reznikov traveled to Paris to meet with French President Macron and to raise the prospect of warplanes on Tuesday. Earlier, Macron didn't rule out providing warplanes as long as certain conditions were met, including that it did not lead to an escalation, that they would not be used to touch Russian soil, and that it would not weaken the capacities of the French army. Polish Prime Minister Matus Morawiecki also signaled that his country may be willing to provide fighter jets. However, he stressed such a move would only be made in consultation with NATO allies. Quote, we coordinate all actions aimed at strengthening Ukraine's defense forces with our NATO partners, he said. Meanwhile, Zoran Milanovic, the president of Croatia, which is a NATO country, has hit out at the West's providing of military aid to Ukraine, saying, I'm against sending any lethal arms there. It prolongs the war, he said. What is the goal? Disintegration of Russia? Change of the government? There is also talk of tearing Russia apart. This is mad. In comments that were widely criticized by Ukrainian officials, Milanovic added, It is clear that Crimea, which Russia annexed in 2014, will never again be part of Ukraine. Elsewhere, the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, has rejected criticism from Ukraine after it said that Russian athletes would be given the opportunity to qualify for the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris. Mikhailo Podolyak, an advisor to Ukraine's president, said the IOC promotes violence, mass murder, destruction. With its decision, the IOC responded that it strongly rejects this and other defamatory statements. Meanwhile, on the ground, Russian attacks were recorded in the region of Kherson, Sumy, Chernihiv, Mykolaiv, Dnipropetrovsk, and Donetsk in the past day. Ukrainian officials reported that three civilians were injured in the Donetsk region. Pro-Russia officials from the Donetsk People's Republic, or DPR, reported that one civilian was injured in Ukrainian attacks. Thanks for that rundown of the facts, Eric. We have a pro-establishment narrative from CNN. Now that Ukraine has fulfilled its desire for tanks, it is rightly asking for modern fighter jets to replace its long-outdated Soviet-era fighters. While the aircraft will not be a magic bullet, Western partners will continue to discuss Ukraine's needs in order to help them defeat Russia. Whether fighter jets are provided in the coming months is an open question. And a pro-Russian narrative coming from TASS. Irrespective of what weapons Ukraine receives, Russia's special military operation will continue till it meets its intended objectives. Western weapons simply drag out the conflict while increasing the prospect of an escalation into all-out war. And from time to time, we have statistics-based nerd narratives provided by the Metaculous Prediction community. This one says there's a 28% chance that there will be a large-scale armed conflict in Russia before the year 2030. The IMF lifts global growth forecasts. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Al Jazeera, Axios, and CNBC. The International Monetary Fund, or IMF, released its latest World Economic Outlook report on Monday, revising its previous global growth projections upward by 0.2%. According to the report, global output is forecast to slow 2.9% in 2023, down from 3.4% last year, as central banks continue to raise interest rates to fight inflation. 
but a global recession would likely be avoided due to resilient customers and the reopening of China's economy. Britain is the only member of the G7 group of leading developed nations expected to see a recession this year, with the IMF now calculating a 0.6 percentage point contraction. This comes as a surprisingly resilient consumption and investment in the third quarter of 2022, robust labor market, and stronger consumer balance sheets were reported in the U.S. and Eurozone. Yet the slowdown may be more pronounced in advanced economies with China and India being projected to account for 50% of global growth. The IMF also expects that over 80% of countries will face lower headline inflation this year compared to 2022, estimating an average annual rate of 6.6% in 2023 and 4.3% the next year. Scott, thank you for the facts. As we take a look at the spins, Narrative A is the first one coming from Washington Post. This year will certainly be challenging, but it may well represent the turning point of the global economy. Though uncertainty still looms, confidence that a global recession can be avoided has improved as the world's three main economic engines, China, Europe, and the U.S., have outperformed expectations and averted some predicted problems so far. The Economist brings us Narrative B. Indeed, there's reason to be cheerful about the world economy as inflation has eased in the U.S., energy prices have plunged in Europe, and China has gotten rid of its destructive zero-COVID policy. It's too early, however, to dismiss the risk of a global recession as overheated labor markets and the energy crisis still endure. Metaculous prediction community is giving us a nerd narrative saying there's a 66% chance that the U.S. will enter a recession before 2024. You know, Scott, Warren Buffett says, be greedy when everyone else is afraid and be afraid when everyone else is greedy. I'm feeling hungry. What should I do now? (laughs) Santos steps down from House Committee's assignments. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Wall Street Journal, New York Post, CBS, Fox News, and New York Times. A spokesperson for U.S. Representative George Santos, Republican of New York, confirmed on Tuesday that he has decided to step down from his House committee assignments to prevent from being a distraction amid investigations into his finances and other issues. Santos, who was set to serve on the Small Business and Science Committees, reportedly expressed his choice at a closed-door GOP gathering on Tuesday and privately to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California, a day earlier. This comes as federal authorities and the House Ethics Committee are probing the origins of $700,000 the congressman loaned from his consulting company to his 2022 campaign, along with several expenditures that were a penny below the itemization threshold. McCarthy told reporters following Tuesday's meeting that this was, quote, the appropriate decision, elucidating that the now vacant seats could be temporarily filled until Santos is able to reclaim the spots if and when he answers all questions and is cleared. Bipartisan calls for Santos to resign have emerged due to reports accusing him of connections to an alleged Ponzi scheme, embezzling animal charity funds, and lying about his background, including ancestry, education, and work history. A poll by Newsday and Siena College on Tuesday found that some 78% of voters in his district believe Santos should resign, including 71% of Republicans, while 63% of those who voted for Santos say they regret having done so. 
Oh boy, we got some narratives on this one. Red State brings us the Republican narrative. Even though casting Santos aside could have made it easier to punish Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, and Elon Omar, Speaker McCarthy remained professional in his neutral stance on the Santos saga. But now that the New York representative has decided to step down, the GOP has moral high ground to hold the three Democrat representatives accountable and strip their assignments. And we're going to counter that with a Democratic narrative coming from Daily Kos. This was likely part of a compromise among House Republicans to persuade those resisting to boot Ihan Omar from her assignment on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Though the GOP may successfully limit its exposure to claims of hypocrisy, there is still a chance that this indicates another damaging story about Santos is about to break. And we have a nerd narrative from Metaculus. This one says that there's a 71% chance that Republicans will win control of the U.S. House of Representatives in 2024. That really says a lot when it says that uh, 63% of those who voted have voters' remorse for this guy. I mean, and people are willing to admit it. People, you know, so often yeah. when when someone says says or does something, they're not likely to go back on it. You know, I, I did this, I'm sticking to it. Right. So to get people to turn around on it, it must be pretty bad. France is criticized over a security plan at the Paris Olympics. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Radio Free Europe, Politico, Le Monde, Reuters, and Voice of America. Rights groups are claiming the French government is trying to extend police surveillance powers ahead of the 2024 Paris Olympic Games, calling for more public debate on a special bill approved by the Senate on Tuesday that would allow AI-assisted video surveillance. The lower House of Parliament is set to consider it next month. The initial text was already amended after the National Commission for Information Technology and Freedoms, or CNIL, and the Council of State raised concerns over the possibility of mass processing of personal data. Security plans involve large-scale, real-time cameras supported by an algorithm to spot suspicious behavior, including unaccompanied luggage and potential stampedes, as France seeks to prevent the chaos seen at last year's UEFA Champions League final. The so-called experimental and temporary framework, which explicitly forbids the use of facial recognition, would be applicable in places hosting competitions and in public transport through June 2025. Security of Paris 2024 to be held from July 26 to August 11th and August 28th to September 8th for the Paralympics has been considered a major challenge, with France's top audit body recommending internal security forces, such as the police and army, to be incorporated. Rather than an opening ceremony in stadiums, the organizing committee has planned an outdoor ceremony with Olympians sailing down the River Seine before a crowd of 600,000 people, of which over 500,000 are expected to watch it for free from the street level. An establishment critical narrative is our first spin for this story, coming from TechZine. The Olympic Games are being used as an excuse for the French government to approve the mass surveillance measures it has long sought to impose. The legislation, which is allegedly intended to be temporary, even hints at making this long-term by mentioning gatherings other than sports events and setting the conclusion of the so-called experiment 10 months after the Olympics end. And the news brings us the pro-establishment narrative. 
This bill, overwhelmingly passed in the Senate, will help France detect potentially dangerous disturbances and ensure mitigated crowd control risks to those attending public events. Despite existing concerns about data privacy, neither biometric data nor facial recognition will be used, and there will be no link with any other personal data system. And we have a nerd narrative for this story as well, coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 50% chance that a machine learning model will achieve 90% of human crowd performance on Autocast by November of 2026. Donald Trump sues Bob Woodward over audio recordings. And here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, New York Post, Guardian, and Courthouse News Service. Former U.S. President Trump on Monday sued veteran investigative journalist Bob Woodward, who in October released audio recordings of interviews conducted with Trump during his last two years in office. Although Trump consented to the interviews that were the basis of Woodward's 2020 book, Rage, the lawsuit alleges Trump didn't grant permission for releasing the interviews. The recordings were released alongside the audiobook, quote, The Trump Tapes, Bob Woodward's 20 interviews with President Donald Trump. In the lawsuit, Trump claims he told Woodward the interviews were for his personal use for the sole purpose of accurately quoting the then-president. One of the most high-profile audio clips concerns Trump confiding to Woodward the threat of the COVID pandemic while asserting an intention to downplay dangers in public messaging. Trump's suit is seeking more than $49 million in damages and names publisher Simon & Schuster and its parent company, Paramount Global, as co-defendants. Lawyers for Trump calculated the damages because the audiobook sold more than 2 million copies at $24.99 each. They added it was exclusive of punitive damages, attorney's fees, and costs. Woodward rose to prominence when he was part of the uncovering of the Watergate scandal in the 1970s. Since then, he has written several books on presidents based on exclusive access he's been granted to administrations. All right, we have three narratives on this story. Let's start with the Democratic narrative from CNN. Trump, who has a history of filing frivolous lawsuits that go nowhere, is at it again. He expects anyone to believe that after sitting for dozens of interviews with Woodward throughout two book projects, he didn't authorize the release of the recordings. Like his suit against Hillary Clinton and media companies, this Woodward case is going to be dead on arrival. And a pro-Trump narrative coming from Washington Times. As Woodward surely knows, Consent to record interviews for a book project is different than permission to release those recordings, especially if they're going to be edited to misrepresent what the subject has said. Woodward saw an opportunity to maximize revenue from his access, and at the very least, Trump should share in that compensation. And a cynical narrative follows from Business Insider. From former Trump aides Mark Esper to Deborah Burks to Mark Meadows, Many others have written tell-all books about the former president in an attempt to cash in. Not surprisingly, the sales of these have largely flopped. If the warnings in this canon of Trump revelations were so severe, why didn't the authors come forward earlier in the public interest? Americans see through the banal and hollow intent of authors trying to capitalize on the lucrative book market. Why would a public figure want to sit down with the most famous investigative journalist of all time and do a tell-all interview anyway. I don't get it. He should have known better. A study claims that COVID set back students by approximately four months. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by Nature, USA Today, ABC News, and CNN. A study published in Nature Human Behavior on Monday reported that students lost more than one-third of a school year's worth of learning after the start of the COVID pandemic, which caused global school closures. The study analyzed 42 reports across 15 countries and found that in addition to closures, the shift to remote learning and the mental health toll of being out of school contributed to the learning loss, with particular deficiencies found in math. The analysis also concluded that although efforts by schools to prevent further learning loss have mostly been successful, attempts to catch the kids up have fallen short. It further added that kids from lower-income families in high- and middle-income countries were affected the most. While there was limited data from lower-income countries, the probe forecasts that this trend applies to those children as well. The researchers didn't assess the specific causes of the disruption, but many attribute it to changes in school environments, disruption to family life, less in-person instruction, and less access to extracurricular activities. This study comes on the heels of the release of results of the 2022 U.S. National Assessment of Educational Progress exams in October, the first since COVID, which showed that 4th and 8th graders had significant drop-offs in reading and math. Scott, thank you for the facts of that story. As we look at the first spin, it is Narrative A, coming from World Bank. School closures were universally rushed based on the misplaced presumption that it would prevent the spread of COVID. And children worldwide are now paying the cost. Even with substantial and collective action, the drain on kids' learning, mental health, and socioeconomic development will be felt for years to come. And Narrative B comes from DevEx. In the face of an unprecedented pandemic, governments did their best, and school closures were deemed necessary. While COVID's exacerbation of what was already an existing global education crisis is inarguable, it's now time to focus on collective action to lay the foundations for more equitable and resilient education systems worldwide. I know I share this with a lot of parents. At least in the U.S., millions of kids lost their senior year, including my daughter. I mean, she had nothing yeah, no, and, and, no events, you know, no prom, no homecoming, no, you know, just lost out on all of those experiences because of COVID. And there's no way to to fix that. You can't redo it. It just is. No. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah. She, wow. she didn't have a she didn't have a senior year of high school. So, man, that's so crazy. The uh, it is. I mean, I guess the 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 silver lining is that everyone that she knows that happened to as well. But it's just exactly. it's just not fair. Yeah. They, yeah. They'll they'll forever be the you know like the the COVID kids I guess I don't know. Anyway, she saved money on prom dresses. I can say that much. I, it sounds like you saved money on prom dresses. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. There you go. Silver lining, baby. <laughs> Take that inflation. News from Canada as British Columbia experiments with decriminalizing hard drugs. And here are the facts as agreed upon by the Star, CBC, MSN, CTV, and Global News. On Tuesday, the Canadian province of British Columbia began a three-year decriminalization experiment allowing anyone over the age of 18 to carry up to 2.5 grams of illegal drugs. The province was granted an exemption under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act in May. Individuals possessing less than the limited amount of illegal substances, including opioids, cocaine, methamphetamine, and MDMA for personal use, will not be arrested, charged, or or have their drugs seized. 
Those who are caught selling or trafficking drugs in British Columbia, however, will still face criminal penalties. Originally, British Columbia requested a threshold of 4.5 grams, but after speaking with law enforcement agencies, it was reduced. The Canadian Institute for Health Information is expected to spend nearly 3 million Canadian dollars or two and a quarter million U.S. dollars monitoring the program. And more than 140,000 resource cards have been printed, ready to give drug users who are found with small amounts of illicit drugs. British Columbia, which has endured nearly 11,000 deaths related to illegal drugs since 2016, is reportedly hoping people will better be able to access life-saving services during this experiment. The University of British Columbia Med School brings us the progressive narrative. This experiment will make strides toward treating addiction as the health issue it is, rather than solely as a criminal situation. Although there is a ways to go, such as creating a regulated and safe supply, this is a step in the right direction to reducing the stigma associated with drug use, and it could help save lives in the province. A conservative narrative coming from Breitbart. As Canada's nanny state, which usually employs stigmatization as a tool to regulate the middle class, continues its anti-stigma drug paradox, the very people the government claims to be helping are the ones who will suffer. The policy normalizes drug addicts as nothing more than an incurable population to be pitied rather than fixed, denying them agency over their lives and thus making rehabilitation inaccessible. The thing I find most interesting about the decriminalizing of drugs isn't the social issues or the medical issues. It's screwing with the cartels. Like, if we made drugs legal, then they would just, their business would just dry up tomorrow. Are you speaking from experience? Uh, no. Our final story, rhino poaching surges in Namibia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, U.S. Today News, Times Live, Sowetan Live, and BBC News. The number of endangered rhinos poached in Namibia reached an all-time high in 2022, with 87 animals being killed, compared to 45 in 2021, a 93% increase. Most were poached in Namibia's largest park. Over the decades, Africa's rhino population has been decimated to meet the demand for their horns in East Asia, which are prized as a supposed medicine and as jewelry, despite being made of the same material as rhino hair and fingernails. In a statement released Monday, Ministry of Environment, Forestry, and Tourism spokesman Romeo Miunda reported that poachers had killed 61 black rhinos and 26 white rhinos, primarily in Namibia's largest park, Etosha. 46 rhinos were found dead in the park. Miunda noted with serious concern that Etosha National Park is a poaching hotspot. The ministry and law enforcement officials have stepped up efforts against wildlife crime in the park to curtail poaching. Southern Africa has a long history of poaching, especially in neighboring South Africa and Botswana. Anti-poaching programs include strict policing and removing the animal's horns to deter poachers. Poachers belong to international criminal syndicates that use sophisticated equipment to track and tranquilize the animals before hacking off the horn, leaving them to bleed to death. The black rhinoceros is the most endangered rhino species, with only about 5,000 left in the wild. Scott, thanks for the facts of that story. African Wildlife Foundation is giving us the first spin. It's Narrative A, and it says poaching is a savage and brutal practice. Some believe that shooting poachers on sight will reduce the problem. 
but that approach fails to address the root of the issue, namely that countries demanding rhino horns enable its purchase by driving up demand for the product. The horns sell for $60,000 per kilogram on the black market, which is more than gold or cocaine. If we want to save the rhinos, we need to come up with a new plan because this one isn't working. And narrative B comes from Voice of America. Botswana reported a dramatic drop in rhinoceros poaching in 2022 after taking further steps to protect its shrinking rhino population. After losing 126 animals between 2018 and 2021, only six rhinos were killed in Botswana in 2022. This is due to a robust national anti-poaching structure that deploys the army to poach hotspots, dehorning the rhinos and moving the animals away from vulnerable areas. However, another reason could be that the poaching syndicates literally have cleaned it out and taken their business to neighboring countries. Metaculous Prediction Community is giving us a nerd narrative for this story. It's the final one for the podcast. It says that there's a 50% chance that 25% of the Earth's land will be protected for wildlife by January of the year 2050. I'm not even against hunting in general or things like that necessarily, but if you're poaching animals and just cutting off body parts and leaving them to suffer and die, I, I say, I don't know, death penalty for that? or so, I'm up for any penalty you want for that. I think that's just awful. Absolutely. That's totally that's wrong on so many levels. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Eric Steiner inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News. Improve the News.